0: Welcome back to another edition of the Disney Dish Podcast with Jim Hill. It's me, Len Testa, and this is our show for the week of Shemers Day, December 19th, 2022. Happy second night of Hanukkah, everyone. On the show today, news, listener questions, including how many magic bands is too many, and surveys. Then in our main segment, Jim continues the history of Disneyland's Paradise Pier Hotel, which is changing yet again. Let's get started by bringing in the man who says that as a teenager, he didn't want anyone telling him what to do, but as an adult, he's begging, please, for the love of God, someone just tell him what to do. It's Mr. Jim Hill. Jim, how's it going? <laughs> <All> right. <laughs>
1: I'm sorry. That does pretty much sum up me in my early 60s.
0: (laughs) Just what do I need to do here?
1: (laughs) It's so funny. I've I've been chatting with my sister-in-law about Christmas is coming and we're doing the holiday cooking and it's just sort of like, you have to settle on what the meal is so I can do the size of the dessert or that sort of thing. But the poor woman is is running to the mall trying to get presents for a a four-year-old in snowstorms, no less. And it's just sort of like, the first world of Christmas
0: is don't die while you're trying to do it. <laughs> I think that's sort of the unwritten rule of Christmas. No fatalities. You know, step one. This
1: is actually why I love Hanukkah. Because look, after the first night, the pressure's off. It's like, yeah. you were just talking about night two of Hanukkah. This is sock night. Yeah, night two is donuts. Donuts and socks. I mean, it's it's, it's low stakes. And to be honest, <laughs> this year, I need socks. So it's like, oh, you
0: see? <laughs> Should be selling Hanukkah in center. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> All right, Jim, let's do a quick shout-out to subscribers over at DisneyDish.BandCamp.com. Thanks to new subscribers Ashlyn310, Sel Verhagen, Abby, and Blue Box Man, and longtime subscribers Shoup Frenchie, Ryan Christiansen, and Walt Christek. Jim, these are the patient paleontologists who are still working on excavating that dinosaur skeleton from the rocks at Big Thunder Mountain Railroad. They say that while the progress has been difficult... What with all the train traffic and dynamiting, the most rewarding part of the job is answering questions from guests as they pass by. True story. Did you see that our pal Jim Schull was
1: recently publishing photos that he had of Big Thunder very up close of, in fact, the very section you were talking about, which, by the way, has an actual name, Dinosaur Gulch?
0: I did know that, in fact, and it's sort of where I got the inspiration for this particular story, which is, by the way, also true, but, you know. We'll take it. We'll take it. So... (laughs) We're going to have to have Jim on because he's, he's unearthing a lot of stuff. That 24-page memo before the opening of the studios is kind of incredible. Uh, yes. <laughs> I asked a few questions of some friends who had some internal documentation around the studios. And I'm like, have you ever seen this? And they're like, tell me more. No, I've not. <laughs> so yeah. we're going to we'll have to bring Jim on to talk about that because uh, that was really interesting. It's always lovely when the the Disney Ark of the Covenant opens. Well, the thing that was interesting to me about that map that he showed is there was no Sunset Boulevard, but the studios curved around the lake. Anyway, we'll we'll talk about that on an upcoming show. We will. We will. All right, folks, we're going to do the news. The Disney Dish News is brought to you by Storybook Destinations, trusted travel partner of the Disney Dish podcast. Free, worry, free travel experience every time. Book online at storybookdestinations.com. All right, Jim, news in the last week. The DuckTales Mm -hmm. World Showcase Adventure opened last Friday in Epcot. This is the uh, successor game to Agent P's World Showcase Adventure, which closed a few years ago. And there are Mm -hmm. seven adventures in countries uh, around World Showcase. So Mexico, Norway, China, Germany, Japan, France, and the UK. Each adventure consists of, I think, what Jim, two or three parts? That's my understanding, Yep. And then if you complete all the parts in one adventure, it takes around 30 minutes. And you'll Mm -hmm. need the Play Disney Parks app. Do it all. Um, Speaking of playing, our own Christina will be on the show in a couple of weeks to go over her thoughts on how the new uh, game is. But, Jim, uh, Disney said this would open in 2022 and they made it with 15 days to spare.
1: (laughs) Yeah, this this is kind of like beginning your homework on Sunday night, just sliding it in under the door. It counts, Jim. It
0: counts. It counts. Okay. It counts as a 2022 thing. Mm -hmm. Also, Jim, um, we're going to talk about this more on our year end wrap up show, but our friend Drew Taylor. Mm Broke the story mm-hmm. of a wave of retirements happening at Universal Creative, including Theory Coop, yeah. who oversaw the Harry Potter construction and Euro Disneyland. I might add, Mike mm-hmm. Hattertower, the president of Creative, and then Mike Harrington, VP of Engineering and Safety. What's uh, what's going on there, Jim? This supposedly came down from Comcast Corporate. Oh, okay there was
1: sort of a forward looking to the effect of how much are we spending on the parks and mm-hmm. how much are we spending on epic universe and it's like ooh can we make i mean it seems like everybody's doing these now the yeah. the layoffs the hiring freezes and in this case again it's it's offering what 57 year old employees the opportunity to retire early but they have to have worked for the company for at least 10 years to lose a Terry Coup,
0: that's kind of mind-blowing, especially out ahead of the opening of an epic universe. How do you think this would affect epic universe, if at all? I mean, at this point, they're since they're already in the construction phase, haven't all the major creative decisions been made they have jeff
1: shell at the most recent comcast uh earnings call uh, talked up the fact that you know what's cool about this park is that the individual lands can be closed off to the rest of the park which means you can then sell them for private events for people who are holding their conventions that sort of thing at the orange county convention center and Mm i would kind of like to hang on to the guy who designed the land prior to the first time you bring a convention group
0: in is this what you were going for yes or no yeah
1: just seems like you'd want that team in place at least till this park has gone through its first couple of months. And then do the hail and farewell? Yeah. We'll see how this plays out, but just a legitimate surprise.
0: Yeah. At this particular time, when we're not even, we're still, what, two and a half years out? Oh, yeah,
1: 2025, you know?
0: So they must be very confident with the uh, with the direction of the park.
1: One would hope. But remember, back in 1999, they were very confident with the whole, hey, Universal Escape, that's what we're calling the resort. You get it, right? You, you, you get it. Don't. Oh, God, you don't get it.
0: Speaking of escape, uh, Universal opened an escape room this past week.
1: Yes, yes. It's not only an escape room, but it's also two bars selling adult beverages for those who are waiting for their opportunity to, to do the escape room. And I have not heard yet about the Jurassic Park themed escape room, but- Alcohol
0: and being trapped in a room with dinosaurs. Jim, I think this is like the <laughs> plot of Jurassic Park 8. <laughs> <laughs> it's Miller time.
1: <laughs> there we go, there we go. But, but my understanding is the Back to the Future version does a lovely job of referencing the Back to the Future the ride attraction, which is, I mean, don't get me wrong, I love the Simpsons ride, but it's still sorely missed. But yeah, that, so far seem to be getting uh, fairly high marks. A bit pricey, though. Uh, what is it? Fifty dollars a person. Fifty dollars a person. Yeah.
0: Um, and it's how long is the experience?
1: A half hour. I want to. That's right. That's what
0: I heard about half an hour. Yeah. I mean, okay. it, it, there there is a price point at which it, it doesn't make sense for the for the thing to operate profitably. I wonder if they're if they're going to test out different price points and see what happens. Okay. Okay. Let's see what happens there. All right, Jim. We've got t- time to do some surveys. Uh, here's one from Brandon. And it's an mm-hmm. ESPN survey. And Brendan writes in and says, I got a survey from ESPN's Sports Fan Nation, where they asked me about watching Major League Baseball games on ESPN+. Plus. The attached question made me choose when I watched games, a thing I told them I did not do. So I look forward to the Synergy Machine showing that every single person who participated in early <laughs> theme park entry also did so while watching a baseball game on ESPN. And here's a question, as best as you can remember, in which of the following months did you stream Major League Baseball games on ESPN+, Plus? opening day or early in the season, April, um, before the All-Star break, so May or June, after the All-Star break, so July or August, or during the playoff push, late August or September? And there is no option for saying none of the above. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> All right. Senate consolation, Brandon, I would have answered the exact same way like, ooh, I enjoy the, the sports ball game.
0: Yes. I do love watching sports ball on ESPN+. Actually, I subscribe to ESPN+, Plus, so I, I, you know, I'm, not, I'm not being cynical there. I, I do enjoy the coverage. Okay. All right. Our friend Milton got a Galactic Star Cruiser survey recently, and there were a couple of questions on the survey that seem to have been refined from earlier mm-hmm. versions. So here's a couple of examples, Jim. How mm-hmm. much do you agree or disagree with the following statements regarding your stay at Star Wars Galactic Star Cruiser? And the question is, uh, congestion or crowding in certain areas of the ship made it difficult to enjoy? So we haven't seen mm-hmm. that one before, but we remember when, uh, when Christina uh, came on to talk oh, about our yeah. uh, experience mm-hmm. on the Star Cruiser, um, that she had said that, that crowding in certain areas was actually a problem. So to see this as an actual question is an interesting follow-up. The, uh, the next statement to agree or disagree with was, it was easy to understand how to play and get the most out of the experience. And Jim, I think this is interesting because it's sort of a free form adventure, right? Yeah. Yeah.
1: And and in fact I remember you talking about it. And for example, them that went to Black Spire Outpost and completed all of the tasks, those were the only folks who, who got the opportunity, for example, to see the I wanna I wanna describe it as a hologram of Yoda. Yeah. Which you said was hugely impressive, you know, very moving. But again, you only got to experience that if you did the, the ground or work over uh you know at Black Spider Outpost.
0: Yeah. And, mm-hmm. and so I I sort of get that, especially since there are large parts of the game where you're not told what to do or when. Like, you know, somebody will direct you to go to the engine room and, you know, look mm-hmm. around or something. But once you're there, you've kind of got to figure out where the puzzle is mm-hmm. and then what the puzzle is. Um mm-hmm. and that that takes a long time like i said um when i went there i really never understood any part of the engine room
1: mm-hmm.
0: without hints so i think uh, i think mm-hmm. this question is towards that okay um next two questions my travel group and i got to do everything that was important to us during this day and that is super interesting because it's a two-day experience and jimmy you mm-hmm. know i've talked about this but every moment mm-hmm. of your Time there is packed mm-hmm. with activities, and it's definitely mm-hmm. possible not to do everything. Like I never interacted with Chewbacca while I was on the Star Cruiser. Wow! Okay. Yeah. And on this particular one, uh, Milton said I strongly disagree that mm-hmm. I got to do everything mm-hmm. I wanted to during this survey. But and, and this is Milton's survey was generally very positive about mm-hmm. the the entire mm-hmm. experience. But in this one particular question, um, he disagreed. Okay. Next uh, question was the activities characters. And Datapad app worked together to create a cohesive story. And I'm wondering here if they're concerned more about the activities and characters or the mm-hmm. Datapad. Because the one area that I could see people sort of rating less good would be mm-hmm. the part when you're on Batu for three or four hours, you know, when you're in the studios running around doing this scavenger hunt thing. Mm-hmm. And the, you know, the feeling would be, why am I paying $5,000 for this?
1: On the other hand, again, if you're in that teeny tiny room and you see the, the amazing hologram of Yoda, right. and, you know, that sort of thing. It's like, oh, I see. It paid off.
0: Okay. And I realized that after the fact. But I guess my I guess there we go. You know, my thing would be if you let's say you you weren't sure about what to do, right? If you were told in advance, hey, it's in your best mm-hmm. interest to mm-hmm. to grind through these things and mm-hmm. do them, and then you did them. That would be one thing. But if nobody tells you that it's absolutely critical and then you don't do it and then you miss out on other stuff, after the fact, there's nothing you can do about it.
1: Stephen Sondheim used to stage these amazing scavenger hunts in New York City. And one of the clues was literally you were sent to an address, and it was a kindly little old woman who sat you in her living room and served everybody a piece of cake. And if you were smart enough as a group to wait a minute, put all the pieces of cake together, it formed the next clue the address Uh of the next person you had to go to. And, you know, evidently the actress Lee Remick told the story, is, yeah, I was on that. And the problem is, I like cake. (laughs) So, you know know what? (laughs) I ate the clue. So that whole notion,
0: why do I, why am I running around like a maniac
1: in Black Spire Outpost? Yeah. Unless somebody pulls you aside and goes, well, "Well, well, that's the thing. I mean, and I
0: I sort of decided at the last minute to just go through every task. Mm -hmm. You know, just to make sure that I, I, again, my, my whole thing for being on the Star Cruiser was like I'm going to leave it all in the field. I'm going to do everything mm-hmm, that you know mm-hmm. I'm supposed to do, just to see what yep. it's like. Um, but I can definitely see people thinking that it was wasn't critical to the next step, and it really is. So that's interesting. I wonder if they, I wonder if that's just a communication thing where like they're. Yeah. We'll see. I, no.
1: I would hope, again, this far into, I mean, face it, this thing's been open since March. It's like, I, I, at this point, <laughs> dropping not-so-subtle hints, go to the service, do some stuff, come back.
0: All right, so in this one, Milton uh, said he agreed with a statement that it all led to a cohesive story. And then uh, there's a follow-up question, So uh, and mm-hmm. the follow-up question is, what are the reasons why you agree, instead of strongly mm-hmm. agree, that the activities, mm-hmm. characters, and data pad App worked together to create a cohesive story. And Milton's response was, "I had about ten face-to-face interactions with Sammy, but my familiarity remained low, despite how hard I tried. Go figure." Yeah, and I, I wonder. So this is interesting because Sammy is one of the. is sort of like the central character of the story. He's the one around which things happen, and I only had like one interaction with him, mm-hmm. and sort of learned his role just by observing how other people interacted with him yeah but i i, I get that I, that that's that's good feedback though. all right based on your experience what would your preference be with the following statement regarding your lightsaber training experience the length mm-hmm. of the training and i think this is new jim so the and your responses are i want much more training mm-hmm. i want more I, it's just about right i want less training or i want much less training and the same mm-hmm. thing around the intensity of the training I want much more intense training. I want more just right, less or much less. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think the lightsaber training is the one area where they're definitely getting feedback around this could be better because it's one of the easiest things to market visually. But I think when you're there, the hype doesn't live up to the marketing or the, the experience.
1: Anybody who's watched a Star Wars film, you know, the, the lightsaber is a quintessential part of the mythos. And if, if it's an underwhelming experience at this point, up the intensity or make it lengthier, give people a sense of they're getting their value.
0: Last uh, question that I thought, and this was a, this was a great one. Uh, which mm. of the following best describes how actively you participated in the mm. immersive story? I fully participated. I participated some, but I just watched other times. And then I only watched and I never participated. And I think this is a way of uh, Disney segmenting out the responses based on the participation. The interesting thing is this doesn't come at the beginning or the end of the survey. It's about a mm. quarter of the way through. Wow. Yeah. And I wonder if, it's, if, they, if they would market it to people differently and say, based on this, this is what you should do. Mm-hmm. All right. One more uh, quick survey. This is from our friend Nikki who sent in a survey from Universal Orlando asking about her interest in an after-hours event, the Volcano Bay Water Park. So one of the first questions, Jim, was clearly to weed out the riffraff. And the question is, (laughs) is how much do you enjoy each of the following activities? And your Mm -hmm. responses here are, I hate this, I dislike it, neutral, Mm -hmm. I like it, or I love it. And the Mm -hmm. six activities listed are attending dinner shows, visiting water parks, attending concerts, watching paint dry <laughs> yeah visiting theme parks and playing video games so clearly the watching paint dry there is is there to, to, to weed out the people who are just clicking buttons there we go mm-hmm. all right the immediate next question after that is during your most recent visit to universal did you stay overnight at a universal orlando on-site hotel and your mm-hmm. only two options here are yes or no and jim this makes me think that they're either targeting overnight guests for this after our event or they're looking to boost hotel occupancy with a party because if they run the party late enough, no one's going to want to drive home at two o'clock in the morning. Certainly, certainly. All right. They mentioned in the next question, they're talking about Volcano Bay specifically and says, Universal Parks and Resorts is is considering hosting a new separately ticketed event at Volcano Bay. Mm -hmm. The event would take place after Volcano Bay has closed to the public and includes exclusive access to select rides, dining, beverages, and entertainment. How interested would you be in attending this event? So extremely very, somewhat interested, uh, not very mm-hmm. interested and not interested at all. The next question after that is, in what time of year would you be interested in attending the event? Select all that apply. So winter, which is December, January, and February. Spring, which mm-hmm. is March, April, and May. Summer, June, July, and August. Fall, September, October, and November. Or all of the above. Which of the following best describes how you would most likely experience this event? I would mm-hmm. purchase a ticket to this event instead of spending a day at Volcano Bay, or in Mm -hmm. addition to spending a day at Volcano Bay. So they are trying to figure out here whether a a special event would cannibalize sales.
1: You're not wrong. You and I have talked about, you know, when Disney added Pleasure Island and uh, Typhoon Lagoon to Walt Disney World in the same window of time as uh, opening Disney MGM, and it was all about, you know, how can we nudge your stay with us just a
0: little further along? That's the thing. I mean, if you, if you run this party late enough and you make it attractive mm-hmm. enough, you could probably get that extra hotel line out of it. There you go. The, the thing that they're looking at here is, what percentage of guests would, would we be cannibalizing one-day visits to Volcano Bay for so that the incremental cost of the, uh, the ticket would more than make mm-hmm. up for it? Alright, um, next question. Below are some experiences that could be featured at this event. How appealing are each of these to you? So the first uh, section is on food and beverage options, a plated mm-hmm. dinner, small plates or tasting menu, specialty themed drinks, alcoholic, Mm -hmm. dessert parties, buffet dinners, specialty themed drinks, Mm non-alcoholic, and that's it. And then the next section is on entertainment uh, and your options Mm -hmm. here are live DJ, character meet and greet, fire dancers, fire Mm -hmm. jugglers, and access to rides and attractions. Mm -hmm. In terms of event theme, uh, I'll read you the options, Jim, and I want you to tell me how different they are. Luau theme, Mm-hmm. Polynesian theme, beach party theme, glow party theme. Uh, Jim, I'm I'm not that up. What is the difference between a luau theme and a Polynesian theme? Yeah, forgive me, but we're talking about eggshell white versus cream white. <laughs> Would you call this ecru or beige? Okay. There we go. <laughs> I'm sure that there, there, is, there is a difference do. and we we just don't know what it is. There but we go. No, there, we're that, not that seems nuanced like a, enough. I mean, that could just be marketing, you know, instead of saying mm-hmm. Polynesian, say luau or, or vice versa.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I, I guess luau's are at night, though. They're dinner, right? That's my thinking. Okay. Uh, so, all right. So, we've talked our way through to, to the answer. There. there we go, Jim. Okay. It, mm-hmm. It's like group therapy here. There we go. All right. Uh, and then eight screens, Jim, on pricing. I'm not going to go through all eight, but I'll go through mm-hmm. um, one of them just to give you examples. So, on this one screen, there are, and we've seen examples of this survey type before. You get three options. Um, Each Mm -hmm. of them with different amenities and each one of them at a different price point. I'll go through Mm -hmm. three here, but there were 24 of them. The first one is the time of event. So it's exclusive event, 6 p.m. to 10 p.m. It is beach themed in a pavilion. You get ride access to all of the big rides plus the wave pool. There's an Mm -hmm. open bar, no entertainment. Your food Mm -hmm. is a dessert party and it's $200 per person. So you get rides, open bar, and dessert, but no entertainment Mm for $200. You know, that would sort of be at the very, very upper end. That might even actually be too high for me. The next one is exclusive event, 6 p.m. to 10 p.m. Glow party on the beach is the theme. No ride access, no drinks. Mm -hmm. You get authentic Polynesian entertainers, including fire dancers. Mm -hmm. You get a tasting menu, and it's $125. And I think again that might be that might be too much. So mm-hmm. no drinks, no rides. One hundred and twenty-five dollars mm-hmm. for food. That again, still at the outer edge. I think of what guests we would be looking for. Okay. The third option is a four p.m. mix-in. So if the park closes at mm-hmm. six, from four to six, you're there with um, with regular day guests, just like Disney does mm-hmm. for its um, its own parties. Uh, the theme mm-hmm. is glow party on the beach. You get access to the top rides and the wave pool. Your beverage option is soft drinks only are included and alcoholic beverages are available for purchase. The entertainment is Polynesian inspired entertainment, including fire dancers. So the interesting Mm -hmm. thing here is in the first option, or sorry, in the second option for $125, it says authentic Polynesian entertainers. Mm -hmm. Here it's Polynesian inspired entertainment. So I wonder if they're flying people over from from the Pacific. (laughs) That or your cousin Lenny in a, a classic grass skirt. <laughs> well, he, he he looks Samoan from a distance. Sure. Your dining option is snacks and the price is $75. Okay. That That might be the option that people people pick. Anyway, there's a 24 of those screens. If anyone gets uh, one of these surveys, by the way, I'd love to see what the options are that they're providing because there is a method to that type of question, giving the three options and um, seeing what people prefer. Um, so I'd love to see what the uh, what the options are and if they're consistent from survey to survey.
1: When Volcano Bay opened, one of the things they really talked up was you know they had this amazing lighting package, especially at right. night, where yeah. the, the volcano would toggle back from being an ice volcano to a, a flaming volcano, and with it often closing as early as it does, they just weren't able to use the park as it was originally
0: designed. Well, we I mean, hopefully uh, you know in, in in time the park will be open later. The the problem is is during summer when the park could be open later, it doesn't get dark till nine o'clock. There we go. All right, Jim, we've got time for one listener question. Here's one from Eva who writes in mm-hmm. and says, uh, on last week's show, you and Jim seemed surprised that a survey was asking about whether someone had problems accessing the room, using magic bands. I wasn't surprised since this is a common discussion on touring plans, line chat. I was pleasantly mm-hmm. surprised that Walt Disney world seems to be following up on what must be many complaints to front desks. The theory is that it has to do with old magic bands the newer theory is that it has to do with having too many magic bands active on your account. So it's just another example of how our super fans are getting the short end of the stick. Indeed, on my trip this fall, Eva writes, I deactivated all but three bands I had traveled with and had no problems accessing my room. So actually, I think this, Eva's onto something here because years ago, pre-pandemic, I was having mm-hmm. trouble getting into the parks and eventually one of the cast members pulled me aside and said you've got like 78 Magic Bands listed here and it's it's the most that I've ever seen. Uh, and if you're not using them, go deactivate them. And now I'm down to like two and I haven't had that problem since then.
1: It's a sensible solution, but at the same time, when you think about, you know, how Disney, every time you turn around, is trying to sell you, look at this cool new band.
0: One arm of the company is clearly not talking to the other arm of the company. Yeah, I think getting rid of the automatic Magic Bands for your resort stays was mm-hmm. a step in the right direction. Um, but for me of the 78 magic bands I had, I think 75 of them were gray and then three (laughs) of them were rainbow colored because those are the ones that I bought for myself. So Mm -hmm. I, uh, I get it. Yeah. Anyway. So if that's uh, if that seems to be the issue, um, folks, it's a, it's a good travel tip, right? Deactivate all, but the magic bands you are going to use for your next trip. You don't have to delete them. You can deactivate them and then reactivate them later on. But I think that would, uh, that might help, uh, resolving some technical issues. Mm -hmm. All right, folks, we're going to take a quick commercial break. When we come back, Jim continues the history of Disneyland's paradise, Pier hotel, which is undergoing yet another transformation. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp.
1: I was just talking with my sister-in-law earlier today, and Kathy was telling me about how she went out driving in the first snowstorm of the season, all because she just had to get this particular toy for her grandson. This is what I love about my sister-in-law, that she's always willing to go the extra mile for the one she loves, but what then concerns me is that sometimes going the extra mile involves traveling on icy roads. Is it moments like this that I wish life had a user's manual, one where if you were questioning whether you'd made the right decision, you could just flip to the index and, well, hang on here, hang on, here we go. Okay, all right, page 347. If it's snowing outside, should I still drive to the mall and do my holiday shopping? And the answer is, ho, ho, no. Sadly, life isn't like that, and if you find yourself questioning some of the decisions that you've been making, or feel emotionally overwrought, or just find yourself stuck... Maybe it's time you sought out professional help, like talking with a therapist. And if you've been thinking along those lines, well, BetterHelp Online Therapy is standing by. As the world's largest therapy service, BetterHelp has matched 3 million people with professionally licensed and vetted therapists who are available 100% online. Plus, it's affordable. And the process to get started couldn't be simpler. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to match with a therapist, and if things aren't clicking, you can easily switch to a new therapist anytime. Plus, there are no waiting rooms, no traffic, no endless searching for just the right therapist. Learn more and save 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com slash Disney Dish. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com Disney Dish. We thank them for sponsoring today's show. He's making a list, checking it twice. Sid is an amazing guy. I mean, he's able to keep track of what every kid on this planet wants for Christmas. Me, I, I can't even remember how many subscriptions I currently have to the Orlando Sentinel. I mean, I think I have two. One that I set up years ago that gives me access to that newspaper's archives. I, I use that one when I'm doing research for the stories I share with Len on Disney Dish. But I also have another account with the Sentinel that I use when I'm looking to read the online version of that newspaper's most recent article. But I may also have a third Orlando Sentinel subscription, one that Nancy got for me at a special promotional rate a year or so back, not knowing that I already had these two other accounts that I know of with this very same newspaper. (sighs) Phew. This is why I love Rocket Money, formerly known as Truebill. It's this great app that can wade into a situation like this, do all of the necessary research for you, and then come back and say, hey, you've got three subscriptions to the exact same newspaper. Did you mean to do that? And if not, which one of these subscriptions would you now like me to cancel for you? And the beauty part is, to cancel a subscription, all you have to do is press cancel, and Rocket Money does the rest. Wouldn't you love to have all of your subscriptions in one place and then be able to decide which ones you now wanted Rocket Money to cancel for you? Here's the thing. Most Americans think they're only spending around $80 a month on subscriptions, when in reality, that total is actually a lot closer to $200 a month. Cancel unnecessary subscriptions with Rocket Money today. Go to rocketmoney.com slash Seriously, it could save you hundreds per year. That's rocketmoney.com slash We thank them for sponsoring today's show.
0: This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics in Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. All right, Jim, when we had left off this discussion, it was 1989. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that Disney uh, had now owned the Paradise Pier Hotel. But Michael Mm -hmm. Eisner wanted more, right? Well, just to be clear here,
1: if we were leaving off in 1989, it wasn't the Paradise Pier Hotel it owned yet. It had finally gotten its hands on the Disneyland Hotel, which, Ah, remember, it, it had almost gotten from the Rather Corporation in 1972. And finally, January of 88, with a partner, got in there and got the hotel. And Disney loved having a hotel of its own in Anaheim, finally. So much so that the Imagineers began formulating a plan to turn Disneyland Park into a destination resort, just like the one that the company owned in Florida, a one with all sorts of on-site hotels, which then would be run by the mouse. So how familiar are you with Westcott? Uh, we've done a series on it, so I, uh, I remember bits and pieces of it. All right, because the preliminary master plan for this project was revealed in march of 91 and this was around the same time that michael eisner announced the disney decade which Mm -hmm. was that ridiculously ambitious plan where he was going to transform the parks on both coasts and we were going to get disneyland paris and you know a fourth gate for florida so this was not the first time That Disney had looked at doing something in the Disneyland parking lot. In fact, I remember you went digging in the Buzz Price archive and came across the plan for the California Living Park that was going to be
0: built out there. Right. This was back in was the late fifties, early sixties. There you go. And that was back when, um, in the post-war era, when Mm -hmm. um, home decor and home building was at a premium in the United States. And Mm -hmm. um, there, there, I mean, there's still you know, home shows. Throughout, mm-hmm. the, uh, the, throughout the country. Aaron Adams goes to many of them, you know, displaying his there wares. There we go. But, uh, busy, but yeah, busy this man. was, it was just really a thing back in the 60s.
1: Absolutely. And I want to say that they had one home that was the California Mountain Living, California Seaside. Right. Yeah, there were four. They actually built these in the parking lot. That was the plan, along with a decent food alternative so people would stop leaving the park and go over to Knots to get chicken dinner. And then uh, there was this weird moment in the 1980s where... They were thinking of taking a lot of the stuff that had initially been designed for the never-built Disneyland Discovery Bay thing Mm -hmm. and doing sort of a steampunky thing. I mean, I've seen the art for it and some plans. I just don't know how serious the company was about it. But anyway, to get back to the Disney decade now, and we're going to talk about the two Westcott plans. It was the original Westcott 1.0, And this $3.1 billion project was going to have the next generation of Disney theme parks. And Westcott, the name's the giveaway. It's supposed to be the the West Coast version of Epcot. But the gimmick this time around was going to fix all the problems that the original Epcot had, leaning more into the entertainment versus the educational aspect. There were going to be multiple on-site, highly themed Disney hotels, which we'll get to in a moment. A shopping and dining district. One that would have carried a lot of the ideas that, that had, the imaginators had already developed for Pleasure Island, including the Adventures Club. And I know this because I saw the slide at the presentation of the Grand Salon. They would definitely bring the Adventures Club oh, to this thing. Oh, interesting. There was also supposed to be a standalone amphitheater, which was going to be known as the Disneyland Bowl.
0: Oh, was the, was this the amphitheater that you, you could have uh, access from either end, like inside there the park know. or outside the park? Yeah, okay, remember this. Okay, With the
1: whole conceit being that during the day, you could stage your standard theme park shows, but at night, because it faced out onto, I want to say, Disneyland Plaza, yeah. you could then turn around and make it into a legitimate concert venue and get two bites of the same apple. And, of course, the surface streets around the newly expanded Disneyland Resort were were supposed to be transformed into a lush garden district with a uniform sign code. This actually happened, Len. This was among the only parts of Westcott 1.0 that actually happened. Likewise, the giant parking garage that they built next to the original Disneyland Hotel that, with ramps that came straight off of the five, so people driving down from L.A. didn't have to get on surface streets anymore. They could just go straight into the parking lot. That got built. But we're going to talk now about the hotel portion of Westcott 1.0. That So we start with the classic Disneyland hotel, mm-hmm. which, again, Disney had only just gotten away from the rather company after decades of, of trying to get their hands on it. That was largely going to be left in place, uh, was going to be renovated and reconfigured, and that did, in fact, happen as well. But going forward from this point, the eventual plan was to build upwards of 4,600 new hotel rooms, Disney-owned hotel rooms right around the resort, with the first hotel being the 800-room new Disneyland Resort Hotel. That was the temporary name, sort of like how if you go far enough back the contemporary resort while it was still under construction for a time they were calling it the tempo bay they were workshopping a name they would have had a better name than new disneyland resort hotel (laughs) okay it was a placeholder all right uh, that was a placeholder. a technique we are not unfamiliar with here on the show jim okay but the conceit of what disney was looking to do with the hotels uh, they were building on property or wanted to build as part of the Disneyland Resort expansion was that they were gonna pay tribute to famous structures in California. So for example, the new Disneyland Resort Hotel was gonna be modeled after the Hotel Del Del Coronado down in San Diego. With the idea that this would be Disneyland's equivalent of Walt Disney World's Grand Floridian Resort and Spa. Mm. On the other hand, the Magic Kingdom Hotel would have featured an architectural style that was heavily influenced by the old Spanish mission in Santa Barbara. This mission is often referred to as the Queen of the California Missions. And this thing was founded back in December of 1786, 10 years you know, after our, our country was founded. And then uh, for the 1,800-room Westcott Lake Resort, this was actually being modeled after the famous pink Beverly Hills Hotel. And just so you know, this whole Westcott Lake Resort was actually supposed to be built around this six-acre lake. Across the way was going to be Disneyland Center with West Coast version of Pleasure Island in downtown Disney. And again, keeping that Celebration of California theme in place, the buildings that these restaurants and shops and nightclubs were going to be located in were modeled after the casino ballroom out in Catalina, the boardwalk at Venice Beach, even the Pacific Palisades. And this is years before California adventure has become an idea that Disney wants to pursue. But here's this element a celebration of California as a key part of Westcott. So, Westcott is perking along. While uh, Euro Disney is getting built and then opened in April of 1992. And suddenly the Disney company gets a little concerned about $3 billion projects. Right. Yeah, it makes sense. So they make another run at what if we we did Westcott in a different way? And what if we did our hotels in hmm. a different way? And the key element here, Len, is that Westcott was supposed to be built in the Disneyland parking lot. And in the... 35 years or, or thereabouts, that Anaheim has grown up around the happiest place on earth. And right. f- frankly, a lot of Anaheim visually intruded into the Disneyland parking lot. And it was like, there was no plan initially to build a berm. So it's like, well, how do we keep all of these large structures at bay? How do we keep them from interrupting the story we're right. And are looking to, to have,
0: They had restrictions on place for things you could see inside the park, but not outside the park.
1: There we go. There okay, we go. Fair. So they sort of rejiggered the way Epcot was laid out. So, for example, the very center of the park is Future World, or the Future World equivalent. It, it, in this iteration, it's called Ventureport, and there are only three pavilions. There is the Wonder of Living, which was supposed to combine attractions from Journey into Imagination the Wonders of Light Pavilion. There was uh, the Wonders of Earth. Pavilion, and that was supposed to be the next generation of Epcot's The Land Pavilion. And finally, the Wonders of Space Pavilion that was supposed to feature chunks of Horizon, Mission Space, and Space Earth. Birth. It was Westcott's version of World Showcase where things got really interesting. Ooh, okay. This was going to be broken down into four specific zones, Asia, Europe, the Americas, and Africa. Okay. And they would make up what were known as the Four Corners of the World. And... Each of these four areas would be housed in structures that would be built along Harbor, Catella, and Disneyland Drive inside of buildings that would be at least six stories tall. So you haven't built a berm out of dirt. you built a berm out Out of of buildings. There we go. (gasps) That's smart. The first three floors of the building Mm -hmm. would face into the park itself and would house all of Westcott's internationally-themed ride shows and attraction, including the park sit-down restaurants, quick service places, retail opportunities, bathrooms, utilities. You get the idea. It sounds a lot like New York City. Go ahead. The top three floors of these internationally-themed structures would then have housed Westcott 2.0's hotels, which would mostly have featured rooms that faced into the park. Okay, This was done on the heels of the success of the Disneyland Paris Hotel, the one that's built over the entrance to the theme park, where the most highly sought, highly prized rooms at that
0: resort are, of course, the ones that face into the park. Here's my question to Jim. So would there be a buffer floor between the rides, shows, attractions, and restaurants in the bottom three floors? and then the guest floors. Cause it seems like if I'm sleeping above, it's a small world mm-hmm. there's, there's going to have to be a barrier of some kind.
1: That's a fascinating question, and I actually attended the presentation where Tony Baxter walked folks through this iteration of Westcott 2.0. In fact, they they talked about the program of people staying in hotel rooms overlooking the park. Literally, the in-house term for this was called live the dream. (laughs) Hey, you get to lay in bed okay. and hear the music of Small
0: World coming right to the floor. Now that's entertainment. Have you tried this yourself, Tony? Oh, God, no. Why would I do that? Okay, just it. No, 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 no. Are you crazy? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well,
1: on paper, seems like a great idea. But, of course, Westcott got tripped up by Disneyland Paris's financial problems. And by December of 93, the company's slowly walking away from this idea and actively looking for more affordable alternatives when it comes to Disneyland Second Gate. You can go now online and look at the various site plans for Westcott. And every time you look at these site plans, there is this little white square right off to the left of Disneyland Drive. And it's always there. And that's the Pan Pacific Hotel, which the Tokyo Group... (laughs) refused to sell to Disney so in the middle of all of these plans for the expansion of the Disneyland Resort they always had to go and we don't have that because they won't sell it to us you know and it it made them kind of crazy because it's like you know we're gonna do all this new amazing stuff we're gonna have that right in the middle it's not till the summer of 1995 when the Imagineers effectively given up on Westcott in fact they're having that famous Shred in Colorado where are sort of spitballing, all right, if we're not doing a West Coast version of Epcot, what are we doing? Mm-hmm. And it's at this time that the Tokyo group kind of reaches out to the Disney company and goes, Hey, remember you wanted to buy the hotel? It's available. And not only is it available then, they can get this fifteen story, five hundred and two room hotel for just thirty six million dollars. Holy cow. And at a time when they're turning away folks to wow. get into the Disneyland Hotel because there's so much demand, it's to, to suddenly get a new
0: hotel. It's seventy-one thousand dollars per room. So the, the the number that I that I've heard for hotel rooms, mm-hmm. you know, for like luxury or you know, very nice hotel rooms, is anywhere mm-hmm. from a hundred to two hundred and fifty thousand dollars per room is the approximate cost of the entire hotel. And this is at 71, so they're at a 30% discount. Speaking of which, though, Disney being
1: Disney, from the day they took ownership of this thing, and that was December 11th, 1995, they immediately bumped the price of hotel rooms from $85 a night to $125 a night. And they had just gotten the chance to get this hotel as they're talking about working on DCA. And the new price point for this expansion of the Disneyland Resort again, we went from $3.1 billion to 1.4 billion and that's your nighttime district that's your theme park that's your parking garage that's your your bus thing on the other side let alone the grand californian resort so disney immediately changes the name from the pan pacific hotel to the disneyland pacific hotel and but it only holds it, that name for, for six years before it becomes Paradise Pier. And on the next installment of this series, we'll discuss how the Paradise Pier hotel got opened, its its private entrance to DCA, and the changes that are now being made to make it Pixar Place. You know, I actually stated
0: this um, right after Disney uh, took it over. So I'll, we'll talk about that on the next show. But it was super oh. interesting because they hadn't done any refurbishments. Mm-hmm. on the inside when i was there and it was uh, you could definitely tell it wasn't the disney hotel we'll talk about that on the next show oh can't wait all right folks that's going to do it for the show today you can help support our show and jim hill media by subscribing over at disney where you'll find exclusive shows never before heard on itunes we've just recorded a live show and one in one of the parks as well and we have an upcoming series on walt disney's 300 plus page fbi file so you know something to get you through the holidays On next week's show, it's our year-in-review show. And as long as nothing much happened with the Walt Disney Company in 2022, we should be fine. A couple of minutes tops. And then we'll finish up the history of this uh, Disney's Paradise Pier Hotel series. You can find more of Jim at jimhillmedia.com and more of me, Len, at touringplans.com. We're produced fabulously by Aaron Adams, who will be showing Aunt Agnes Adams' world-renowned collection of ISO SPA's Isetta automobiles, including the rare BMW 600, at the 2023 West Virginia International Auto Show, running February 18th to the 20th, 2023, at the Charleston Coliseum and Convention Center in beautiful downtown Charleston, West Virginia. While Aaron's doing that, please go into iTunes and rate our show and tell us what you'd like to hear next. For Jim, this is Len. We will see you on the next show.